today on The Lab Report. We talked to Dr. Terry Walls, creator of the Walls Protocol and just a true inspiration. She's got an incredible story that you're going to want to hear. The world of medicine can be challenging. Clinicians and patients are always looking for more options, more effective treatments, and in the end, more answers. Functional and integrative medicine focuses on addressing root causes of disease. Here at Genova Diagnostics, we've watched this field evolve and grow for over 35 years. We've not only adapted, we've led. Join us as we talk about functional medicine, laboratory testing, and optimizing health. Welcome to the Lab Report. Well, what about the salt lamp? Do you at least like that one? I like the salt lamp. It's a right. good addition. Thanks. Yep. Happy about it. Good. Very happy. Thanks. Hello. Hi, Michael Chapman. Hi, Patty Devers. What's How goes on? it? It's going great today. How about you? Yeah, it's going well. <laughs> well, welcome to the lab report. Thank you. And everyone else, not just you. Okay. Welcome everyone to the lab report. This is a podcast there where we discuss functional medicine, integrative therapeutics, specialty lab testing, and the like. Right. And we are here on behalf of Genova Diagnostics. That is correct. And if you like this podcast, Patty, tell them what they can do. Wow. There's a lot you can do. You can go to iTunes or Spotify and hit the subscribe button. You know, we mm-hmm. need subscribers. And mm-hmm. you can rate and review and share it with your friends. That's right. Spread the word. That's right. You can also contact us. You can send an email, podcast at gdx.net. Maybe you got a question. Maybe you just want to communicate some feedback. That's all fair game. We love it. Podcast at gdx.net. Perfect. Well, today we have a pretty great episode, if I must say. So I'm pretty excited about it. I'm pretty excited about this interview. Yeah. For those of you who are in functional medicine, you probably know the name Dr. Terry Walls. Yes. Or even if you're not in functional medicine, you've probably maybe heard the name Terry mm. Walls. I mean, mm-hmm. she's got a book. She's got the Walls Protocol, which has had a lot of attention. Uh, she's somewhat of a, a viral sensation, I would say. She does a lot on Instagram. She does. And I'm learning a lot about how to garden, how to, <laughs> how to eat, how to cook certain foods. Yeah, she's everywhere. But she's a very compelling person because she personifies the power of functional medicine. And it's just really interesting to see her and to hear her speak. Yeah. So without further ado, let's hear her story. Great. So Patty, yeah. let me tell you a little bit about Dr. Terry Walls. Great. Dr. Terry Walls is a clinical professor of medicine at the University of Iowa, where she conducts clinical trials testing the efficacy of diet and lifestyle to treat multiple sclerosis-related symptoms. She's also a patient of, with a chronic progressive neurological disorder, secondary progressive multiple sclerosis, which confined her to a tilt-recline wheelchair for four years. But thanks to the power of the Walls Protocol, Dr. Walls restored her health and now pedals her bike five miles to work each day. Her book, The Walls Protocol, a radical new way to treat all chronic autoimmune conditions using paleo principles, was recently re-released in March 2020 as a revised and expanded edition. She is also the author of the companion cookbook, The Walls Protocol Cooking for Life, and teaches the public and medical community about the healing power of intensive nutrition. And with that, I'd just like to say thank you so much, Dr. Walls, for yeah. coming on the lab report. Welcome, welcome. Oh, thank you so much. <laughs> Great. Well, to be completely honest, Dr. Walls, most of us here know you, and, and people in the functional medicine space have seen you lecture and heard the amazing story of your path from progressive multiple sclerosis to now we watch you dance on stage at IFM. So for those of us who may not be familiar, can you tell us about how you were diagnosed and how you found your path to wellness? Yeah. So, yeah, you know, in, in retrospect, my symptoms began during medical school back in 1980 
with episodes of face pain that would be ultimately diagnosed as trigeminal neuralgia. Hmm. Then in about seven years later, I had an episode of dim vision that was evaluated, no clear diagnosis. Then 13 years later, so now it's 2000, I developed weakness in my left leg uh, and was evaluated and found to have lesions in my spinal cord and one in my brain. And the diagnosis of multiple sclerosis was made. Hmm. Being a academic, you know, professor yeah. of medicine, I knew I wanted to treat my disease aggressively. Mm-hmm. So I set out the best MS center I could find, took the newest drugs, uh, and went relentlessly downhill anyway. In 2002, I got introduced to the work of Lauren Cordain by my uh, neurologist. Yeah. After 20 years of being a, a low-fat vegetarian, I went back to eating meat. I gave up all grains, all legumes, all dairy, Yeah. Mm. but continued to go downhill. I needed a tilt-recline wheelchair. Then I took uh, metazantrone, then Tizabri, then switched to Salsep. Still, you know, relentlessly going downhill. By the summer, and I, at that point, I started reading the basic science. I began experimenting based on what I was learning in the neurodegenerative literature, Parkinson's, Alzheimer's, etc. And after about six months, I decided I was wasting my money because I wasn't getting any better. So I stopped my supplements and then realized, in fact, I, I felt much worse without the supplements. So... I was encouraged, was uh, actually more excited about reading the, the research and experimenting on myself. And so I was declining, uh, albeit somewhat more slowly. By the summer of 07, I was so weak I could not sit up in a regular chair. I was beginning to have brain fog. I uh, was having much more severe trigeminal neuralgia that was very difficult to control. And that's why I discovered the Institute for Functional Medicine. Mm-hmm. I took their course on neuroprotection which deepened my understanding. I had more supplements. Not a lot changed yet. Mm-hmm. But then I had this really big aha moment, like what if I redesign my paleo diet based on these functional medicine principles? Right. I, and so I did that. And that's really when the magic happened. Within three months, my fatigue was gone. My pain was gone. And I was beginning to get stronger. I could sit up again. So that was very exciting. Oh, wow. At six months, I could begin walking with walking sticks around the hospital again. Mm-hmm. Uh, at nine months, I got on my bike and biked around the block for the first time what? in six years. Wow. You mm-hmm. know, I, uh, and then at a year, I, in fact, did an 18.5-mile bike ride with my family. <laughs> wow. That's incredible. So this, this, of course, changes how I think about disease and health. Sure. Right. It would ultimately change the way I practice medicine. Functional medicine, Yeah. So, and the WALS protocol is ultimately what you developed to kind of put you on that particular path that is the miraculous transformation that you went through. What was it that was different now that you incorporated these additional elements? What, would, what do you think it is about the WALS protocol that you, that changed, that, that really was the linchpin to, to this transformation? You know, interestingly enough, so I reduced the meat, I huh. increased the vegetables in a very specific way, I dramatically increased the greens. So it was uh, probably three to six cups of greens every day, uh-huh. a lot more cabbage, onion, mushroom, family vegetables, more color, beets, carrots, berries. And I was adding more hemp, flax oil, cold for my salad dressings. So I was getting uh, several tablespoons of essential fatty acids every day. Right. And then I also, I was working very closely with my physical therapist and we'd added electrical stimulation of muscles. Right. Mm. And he was like, Terry, you're getting stronger. Wow. We're going to start having you lift weights. You are definitely stronger. Mm. 
I, and you know, at the time when I when I added the e-stim, and there was no research using this for MS. My therapist said, you know, I can definitely grow more muscles. I just don't know if your brain can talk to the muscles I grow. Mm, interesting. Mm. Um, and so, and I convinced him that it was worth the try. And he was actually concerned that, you know, if, if it grew more muscles that I couldn't use, that's going to make walking much, much harder. Mm. Hmm. But, you know, we did that. And I was an athlete before I became a physician. So I really understood the commitment to rehab. Mm-hmm. And so I, I think it was the combination of the diet, uh, the meditative practice, this deep, deep commitment to rehab science and a physical therapist that worked with athletes in rehabilitation so well. Wow. Interesting. That, that combination allowed me to come back really breathtaking speeds Wow! once yeah. I began recovering. Well, in addition to those paleo diet principles and a lot of that, you know, the electrical stimulation of the muscles, we've also heard you speak about meditation and mindfulness and family. So how much of a factor in your recovery would you say lifestyle modification played? Yeah, I think that is really key. The reason... We have so much chronic disease is that our diet and our health behaviors are all pointed so far away from how our DNA evolved over millions of years. Mm. And by, uh, you know, clearly you have to clean up your diet, but a meditative practice, uh, having a tribal social network, I think that's very important. Mm. Uh, That physical activity very important. And I would also, in, in my case, I think a key part of my ability to have done so well was that very clear sense of purpose mm. uh, in personal mission statement. Mm. And, you know, at the time that I was diagnosed with MS, I had, my children were quite young. My son was eight, my daughter was five. Mm. And as I was getting more and more disabled and having to reimagine my life as this progressively more disabled person, yeah. Then I'm thinking about, okay, so what's most important? You know, I want my kids to be successful adults. I, I'm not going to be able to teach them those skills through mountain climbing and uh, mm. kayaking and wilderness travel and athletics. So what do I have? Right. And what I could have is my daily choices. You know, I could model that you get up and go to work every day and that, yeah, life's not fair, but so what? Mm-hmm. You still get up and you do the best that you can. And so... Their presence in my life was huge, and my wife's presence in my life was huge in providing the uh, resilience and the willingness to do to keep at this. Yeah, wow, that's really powerful, and that it goes back to what you're talking about—kind of that the the tribal orientation and how important that is in people's lives. What do you? How do you, as a physician, then turn that kind of information around and help to? to foster that in other people's lives? What are some of the things that you find yourself turning to from a therapy standpoint? You know, most physicians, certainly when I went to medical school, yeah, we're taught how to diagnose quickly, how to treat using the best drugs and technology. We never got any training on health behaviors. Uh, It was minimal. Lifestyle was minimal. And then, you know, eventually we started getting a little more training in motivational interviewing. Then we had the um, traditional behavior change model with pre-contemplation, contemplation, right. preparing for action, taking action, and then sustaining action. Yeah. But when we look at the research that says, you know, how many patients actually implement the dietary change? It's less than 20%. Mm-hmm. When a physician says you make these changes for your diet, less than 20% of them will make those changes. So 
most physicians have zero training and are very ineffective with knowing how to help their patients deal with addictive food, addictive behaviors, with this, improving the quality of their diets. Right. Hmm. Now, fortunately, when I was at uh, the VA, I had the opportunity to use these concepts in my clinics uh, very successfully. The VA then had me create a, a new clinic, which we called the Therapeutic Lifestyle Clinic. And through my work there, I ended up uh, creating this much more comprehensive, robust process that we used to help people be much more successful mm-hmm. at implementing the dietary recommendations, implementing the stress reduction recommendations, and implementing you know this health behavior change. Yeah. Wow. I mean... And one of the things I think about, you mentioned kind of the stages of behavior change and how little us as physicians get trained in that, even though when you think about functional medicine as a whole, and at the end of the day, basically what we're working with, what we're doing is behavior change. So if you're not effective at motivating or if you're not effective at properly assessing somebody's stage that they're in with respect to behavior change and then how to move them from one to the next, Mm -hmm. then you're you're not going to have that ability to, you know, to see efficacy. Then when I started going to functional medicine, functional medicine was very good at diagnosing and looking at people's behaviors and their environmental factors and helping uh, physicians understand that diet, lifestyle, environmental factors are really vital. Yeah. But we, we too, here in functional medicine, we made the same mistake that our conventional medicine docs made, which was, okay, I, I, I've diagnosed you now with a functional medicine perspective. Here's the diet. Go home and do it. Right. Yeah. Here's the treatment plan. Right. And I don't think we adequately adequately appreciated that people need a whole lot more support mm-hmm. in this process right. and that we have to engage them in a much more fundamental way so they're willing to do the work and then break this down into a much more successful process. Right. Right. Well, just as a sidebar, we talked a little bit about, you know, in functional medicine, There's often that dietary intervention. But when we think in functional medicine about autoimmunity, we we often think of the gut and permeability of the gut. So as part of your protocol or as part of your healing process, was there gut repair? Did you, was there a lot of things that you had to address in your GI tract? Yeah, I was doing a lot of gut repair. And this is, again, pretty basic stuff. Mm -hmm. Make soup, Mm -hmm. a lot of soup, uh, (laughs) a lot of bone broth. Yeah, have liver once a week and more sea salt seaweed, Dead Sea mineral soaks, more Epsom salt soaks, and again, through diet and lifestyle. Now, you could use some supplements in there, and that could be helpful, but I'll I'll tell you, in my VA life, Mm -hmm. we didn't, we had very, very limited use of the supplements. Mm -hmm. So we spent a lot of time working with our patients on teaching them how how to make bone broth, right. how to make liver actually taste quite delicious. <laughs> that, that can <laughs> be a bit hard. of a tricky bit. Yeah. Yeah, actually, you know, we got we, we would cook it for them, show them that it could be uh, really quite delicious. Yeah. Uh, and the other thing that people appreciated was it's very inexpensive to get organic liver because a lot of society doesn't appreciate just how what a great superfood that is. Sure. Right, right. So have you found that a lot of these things obviate your need for like prescriptive medication? Is there still a place for those as well? Well, you know, certainly there's still a place for prescriptive meds. But you know, in my VA clinic, in the lifestyle clinic, we get people with autoimmune issues, diabetes, obesity, mental health, health, health issues. 
they would come in, we would do their assessment, do their timeline, their matrix as a group, uh, walk that through as a group, and then implement diet and lifestyle and see them monthly. Mm-hmm. And what we typically see is in the first month going back, pain is less, blood pressures are beginning to improve, weight is typically down, blood sugars are improving. And depending on the individual, I may have to already, at that first month, one month visit, start dialing back their medications, mm-hmm. particularly if they're on uh, diabetes meds or blood pressure meds. Yeah. yeah. I, and then we may begin lowering the dose of meds. And depending on the individual, we may be eliminating some meds. Mm. And it's not uncommon for my patients to be on 25 plus meds. Right. So, yeah. I mean, these, these were people with complex chronic health problems right. who were often disabled, <laughs> often living on food stamps, and, you know, huge, huge levels of comorbidities. Yeah. Right. And, and again, because we, we had such success, you know, every quarter I was giving reports back to primary care, to the pain service, and then I started having to give reports to the chief of the hospital and the hospital executive committee with who we were seeing and the changes that we were seeing in, you know, the biomarkers for the group uh, and the medication needs for the group. Wow. And I imagine <laughs> because of the drastic change that you keep that you have spoken about, what was the reaction to, to everyone else seeing such dramatic changes in, in these people that you're working with? Well, we're able to add more staff, increase the size of our clinic. I actually had some of the, uh, Tracy Gaudet from the VA office come out and meet with us, see our processes. She was very impressed. Yeah. And so, you know, some of these concepts, I think, uh, have been expanded into other facilities. And because my op- opportunities to give more presentations around the globe and my own research demands, I ended up deciding that I needed to retire from the VA. I hired my replacement, got her up and running, and then spent more time at the U with my research. Uh, and then, you know, creating my certification program to train other clinicians so they could use the concepts that, that we've used in that clinic and in my practice and research. Great. Well, even in that same vein, as far as your research through the University of Iowa. Can you tell us what's the latest focus for some of that research there? Well, we're right now analyzing our research that's comparing this the, a low-fat diet, also in the Swank diet, and the modified paleo diet, known as the uh, Walls diet. We're in the process of having that analysis, so hopefully that'll be getting presented at a big MS meeting this fall. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then the next study that we were approved to do, which was to compare in newly diagnosed multiple sclerosis patients or clinically isolated syndrome patients, people who have declined drugs, who want to just use diet and lifestyle, we train them on basically the WALS protocol mm-hmm. and compare them to a cohort also of newly diagnosed MS patients or clinically isolated syndrome patients who would be getting standard of care drug mm-hmm. therapy. Mm-hmm. Wow. And then we were going to see them, you know, twice twice a year and get measures of walking, thinking, vision, mm-hmm. and their brain, brain MRIs, with some quality of life measures every three months. But then, you know, the pandemic happened. We're, we're not allowed to do in-person visits. So we have a modification in place, switch everything to virtual only. So we'll just do quality of life and we'll do obtain the patient's outside records and we'll abstract the records so we can see what, what happens with MRIs before and after and we'll follow them for four years. Wow. So it'll still happen. I'm in the process of waiting to get approval for the press release mm-hmm. so mm-hmm. we can go out and be recruiting. Great. But that's, uh, that'll be very exciting. I, it, 
for all the success that I've had with the Walls Protocol, we've never had a comparison of diet and lifestyle, no drugs, to standard of care. Right. Now, it, it, and this is a, it's a quasi-experimental, so it's not randomized. So there'll, there'll sort of be some serious limitations of the study. Mm-hmm. But th- this, this is the first time that we'll be able to get any sense of, are people harming themselves by declining drugs and focusing just on diet and lifestyle? And mm-hmm. if so, by how much? Mm-hmm. Or are they, in fact, you know, not harming themselves, but in fact having uh, much superior outcomes right. wow. uh, by declining drugs and doing diet and lifestyle? We don't really know. Mm-hmm. So this will begin to answer that question. Great. We're uh, very excited and certainly looking forward to, hopefully, soon recruiting and getting the study underway. Great. That is interesting. And are you looking to, are you going to be continuing doing telemedicine throughout the length of the study? Or is that once well, well, the pandemic's yeah, over, well, so you're going to switch it? What's going to happen is we'll train people on the study interventions via televideo. Then they will get a monthly support call. And that support call will be as a group. We are trying to work out a uh, form where people can have a online form with the study to interact with each other in terms of their success stories, challenges, and mm-hmm. the study team. And the structure of the form, I'm still working out with the IRB to have it be appropriately secure and what that might look like. So I'm, I'm not sure I can get, get the online form to work out, mm-hmm. but I could clearly get the group monthly support calls to work out. Great. That That's going to be fine. Yeah. Great. Got it. Well, I've also noticed, you know, on top of doing the telemedicine approach that you're adjust have adjusted for the research, you're doing a lot more kind of teleeducation. If anyone follows you on Instagram, oh, there's yeah. a lot of stuff going on. You want to talk a little bit about what you've been doing there? Yeah. So a couple of things. I, I've been, as I mentioned before, I have a certification program for practitioners. We uh, have an in-person certification and a online certification that's sort of combined with in-person. So we have that up and going. I have a very big in-person event that happens every summer. However, we, we are not doing that in person. Mm-hmm. We're doing that virtually. We're doing it via Zoom. And so I'm still doing live talks, but I've we have stretched it out now. We have uh, eight weeks left. Yeah. Okay. So there's the Sunday two and a half hour session where we, uh, we have a bunch of talks and interaction. And then I assign homework. Uh, and then on Wednesday evening, I check in with uh, all the attendees, see the progress they've made on their homework, answer questions, and then we break out into a smaller group discussions to discuss what we've learned and any new insights that we have. So we've we've created a live taught, delivered to your ho- to your home kind of event mm. that I now realize is I, I think much more engaging, much more interactive. Yeah. Huh. And probably much more transformational because you get support over, you know, we we started doing our bonus content in April. In April. Mm-hmm. We're doing the seminar content now. So you get uh, basically 10, we- 10 weeks of support mm-hmm. as you're implementing the stuff that you're learning. So what I'm hearing from the attendees is they're like, wow, you're right. This is the best seminar you've ever put together. <laughs> <laughs> way to pivot. Well, just to build on that, we know your book, The Walls Protocol, A Radical New Way to Treat All Chronic Autoimmune Conditions Using Paleo Principles, was recently re-released just in March. Can you tell yeah. us, was it expanded? How was it revised? What is there? Is there new yeah. content there? 
So it's revised and expanded. It's about 30% new material. The new material, we have more information on diet. I talk a bit about histamines, oxalates, FODMAPs. Everyone knows that I'm uh, keen on ketosis, Yeah. but I talk more about the many ways we get into ketosis, that historically as a species, we were in ketosis mostly through physical exercise and either an absence of food. The high-fat diet for ketosis is a very new phenomenon, uh, and that just developed in the last 100 years at the Mayo Clinic. Right. So, so we talk about the ways you can do it with a high-fat diet. And then I talk about the ways you can do ketogenic eating through time-restricted feeding, various fasting strategies, or uh, calorie restriction. Uh, then the, we also talked great conversations about behavior change. I know I've alluded to that before, that I, I, I teach behavior change in our certification program. I talk more about the much more comprehensive behavior change process that we use uh, in our clinic to give people a lot more resilience and internal motivation to do the work to forego today's pleasures for tomorrow's benefit and begin making these big diet and lifestyle changes. Wow. Yeah, and that's just absolutely critical. Right. I heard that you have you do actually quite a bit of fasting yourself. Yeah. Did you want to talk a little bit about the importance that you find in fasting and how that's how you've incorporated that into kind of your yeah. overall strategy? What I like to do is have one meal a day. And so I've been having my detox teas and green teas in the morning. And then I'll make supper for my family and I'll have an evening meal with them. And so I'll eat more typically within a two to three hour window. And then I, you know, I'm back in my fasting strategy. Hmm. And I'd say for about 18, the last 18 months, I've also included uh, periodic fast. So I would do a month long five to seven day water fast. More recently, I've done a calorie restricted fast instead. So you get 300 to 500 calories a day during that time period. And I'll tell you, after having done that with water fasting, it is just really a breeze to do it with a periodic calorie <laughs> right. you know, Getting so. 300 to 500 <laughs> calories, it's like, oh my God, that feels so luxurious. <laughs> yeah. Well, have you seen improvement or have you noticed a difference in doing that? Physically? Well, certainly my kids have made the observation that I keep looking younger and younger. <laughs> That's I, always and good. My hair, my hair is still getting more gray. But <laughs> That's the kids, I, I right? Agree, <laughs> right. Um, that, yes, due to the kids. <laughs> uh, but physiologically, I think I'm continuing to get youthen. And that is, would match what we see in the animal models. If you put an animal through a water fast or a periodic calorie-restricted fasting, uh, you know, the fasting-making diet, you boost up the stem cells. Mm -hmm. uh, it's really very potent to anti-aging. Hmm. And by boosting the stem cells, you dramatically repair the body's ability to repair the wear and tear damage to your heart, your liver, your kidneys, your, your brain. Yeah, and so this, yeah, I, I think, is a very, very helpful strategy. And, and frankly, it's what our ancestors would have gone through. Yeah. Right. We periodically would have not had food. Mm. And, and right. uh, many of our traditional great religions have a fasting experience as part of their religious practice. And that I, I think it's a contemplative time. It's a spiritual practice. And I think it's a marvelous healing practice. However, I do want to point out to all the listeners because at least in the animal models that we know, if you do a water fast 
or the calorie restricted fast that your immune cell population decreases by 30%. Hmm. I do I am not doing my periodic fast during the COVID-19. Sure. Right. I'm telling uh-huh. my patients this is not the time to do a periodic fast. I think time restricted feeding's okay. I think low level ketosis is okay, but I would not do a water fast and I I hesitant to do the calorie restricted fasting because of the in the in the animal models immune cell populations decrease by a third. Wow. Mm. That's interesting. So yeah, I just don't know what it means for COVID, but to be cautious, I'd rather people not put themselves through quite that much stress. Right? Yeah. Would you have that same sort of caution with maybe a more strenuous ketosis, ketogenic diet, or do you think it's more so specific well, to the calorie intake? So this is a, a, a debate that uh, many of us in the functional medicine space are having. Yeah. Is Should we be doing ketosis or not? We know if your blood sugar is high, that compromises your immune cell function. So... Ketosis stabilizes your blood sugar. That's a reason to do ketosis. Right. I think low-level nutritional ketosis is probably fine. Anywhere from 0.4 to 0.7, I, I think it should be, certainly be fine. 0.8 to 1 may, may be still okay. Higher than 1, I, I, I'm definitely less enthusiastic for. If, you've, if you are using ketosis as part of your treatment plan for your epilepsy or as part of your cancer treatment. And so you, you, you've been in that level of ketosis for a long time. That's different than someone who says, I want to lose weight sure. and I'm going to do it through aggressive ketosis. Sure. Makes sense. Yeah. Huh. That's interesting. And you think it's because of the, you know, the stress on the body with fasting and water fasting, the cortisol rise. Do you think that has anything to do with well, the immune dampening? Well, if we put you in a water fast, your immune cells, as I said, decrease by 30%. You know, by the end of the fifth day. So if you happen to be getting exposed to a new viral infection at that time, then you're going to be more vulnerable. But of course, when you refeed, your immune cells come roaring back. So there are others who, who feel like, well, it's, it's probably not a big deal. Mm-hmm. So the reality is we, we don't know. Yeah. Okay. But on, on the abundance of caution, I would rather people do time-restricted feeding, intermittent fasting, yeah. and low-level nutritional ketosis and wait on periodic fasting until we are through this yeah or you know or or that you're in a circumstance where you know or that 5 day period you'll have no exposure wow right makes sense yeah and and, and you know and that would be okay if if i could control my my exposures well enough that i'm not going to be exposed to anyone no one in my household's going to be exposed to anyone mm-hmm. then yes i think it would be fine got it because when because when you refeed Stem cells come roaring back, your immune cell vigor comes roaring back, and you would be even younger than you were <laughs> before you started. So you'd be in, in better shape. Got it. Excellent. Well, you know, you've talked about the practitioner certification. You've talked about some of the things that you do, you're doing in your research. Where else can people find you? You have an Instagram, like I mentioned, that's, oh, yeah. that's always bustling. So, yeah, go ahead. Yeah. If you want to watch what I'm eating and get short inspirational messages, my Instagram handle is Dr. Terry Walls, D-R-T-E-R-R-Y, Walls, W-A-H-L-S. Facebook and Twitter are at Terry Walls. Our website, terrywalls.com. If you want to get a copy of our research papers and get links to these amazing videos before and after, you can do terrywalls.com forward slash papers. 
And if you want to learn more about our certification program, uh, you can go to terrywalls.com certification. Or more about our seminar, you can go to terrywalls.com forward slash seminar. Great. Excellent. Great. I actually, I have one more question for you. This is a little bit off topic. I hope you don't mind. But um, <laughs> we sometimes ask a lot of our guests some some off topic questions. And since you have demonstrated all these different foods that you're preparing all the time on Instagram, I follow right. you there. And I'm constantly watching what you're what you're having for dinner. What is your favorite vegetable? <laughs> do you have a do you have a favorite vegetable? And if so, what is it? What would that be? Well, you know, it's seasonal. So, mm-hmm. and this sort of ebbs and flows. Right now, I'm very, very much in love with roasted garlic. Mm. Um, so, it will bake garlic in the oven, the whole head. And if you bake until it's a little bit soft, and we bake or grill garlic by the heads. And my daughter who's living with us right now, we'll eat a whole head of garlic ourselves. Yeah. Wow. So uh, that's delicious. <laughs> the other thing that I'm really enjoying a lot right now is asparagus. So we have purple mm-hmm. asparagus and green asparagus. And when when I was a young youngster growing up on my parents' farm, I would go out and I would lay in the grass and I would just chew down the asparagus uh, <laughs> raw. I just loved eating it raw. So And I still Yay. love to do that. I, I like to go out and eat our asparagus raw. And apparently so does our dog. So we have to fence our dog out of our asparagus <laughs> bed because the little the little crapper eats up all of our asparagus. <laughs> That's after a great that, answer. After that glutathione. I know. But we watch you eat vegetables all the time on Instagram, actually. Yeah, <laughs> and you have quite quite the garden, the yes. green thumb going on there, too. So yes. you can learn some yeah, gardening you know, tips. And, and we post a lot of gardening videos not that we're necessarily experts, and right. we admit there are other people that are more knowledgeable. But we want to inspire people that you just start. Yep, start Just planting. begin, Yeah, and you'll learn as you go, and it's a lot of fun. It's a really wonderful family activity. Great. Great. Well, Dr. Walls, as always, it's just amazing to talk to you and, and hear such inspiring stories and brilliant clinical information. And we're going to encourage everyone to go to your website for all those amazing seminars and uh, teleeducation to get your updated and re-released book, The Walls Protocol, A Radical New Way to Treat All Chronic Autoimmune Conditions Using Paleo Principles, and to follow you on social media. And we just want to say we're honored and so thankful that you spent time with us today. Thank you. You know what's interesting, Michael? What's, what? what? I, I've heard that story before. I've heard her speak on that story before. But every time she speaks, something else grabs me. I mean, it's such a compelling, inspirational story, a good human being, smart woman. There's just something about her. Yeah, I, I think the thing that really stood out to me was her ideas, her thoughts around having a particular mission statement in life mm-hmm. and the way that she sort of was faced with her own illness and and the lessons that the illness was trying to teach her. I always find that part of the story when people kind of are are learning a life lesson from their illness. Wow. I find that part of it always super intriguing and where they how they move through that and and come out the other side is always just super in- interesting. Yeah. And toward the end of the interview she was talking about some of the research that they're doing there and at the University of Iowa. And she mentioned this study where they're looking at patients who have been diagnosed with 
clinically isolated syndrome or multiple sclerosis to participate in this study. Yeah, and we make we definitely want to make sure and try to plug that as much as possible and help her along with the research. So if people are interested in participating in the study, where can they go? How can they find out more information? Yeah, well, we're going to put this in the show notes. So if you're listening to this on iTunes or Spotify, check the show notes. We'll give you a link and a phone number on how to contact the University of Iowa and Dr. Walls and her team uh, to contribute and to participate in that study. Great. Well, I think this has been a really interesting episode. And Do we have forward. to do a disclaimer? Yeah, we should probably do that. Okay. The content of this podcast is meant for educational purposes only and is not meant to be misconstrued as medical diagnosis or treatment advice. Next up, if you're binge listening, you're going to hear Rachel Gregory. Even though it was last week's, they're listed in reverse on iTunes. Yeah, so that's what's up next. You've been listening to The Lab Report. If you like what you hear, please subscribe to our podcast, rate us, and leave us a review. To learn more about Genova Diagnostics, visit our website at gdx.net. There you'll find information on specific testing, educational resources, and how to connect with our show. Call us at 1-800-522-4762 or email us at podcast at gdx.net. Would it be narcissistic to do like this podcast is dedicated to? <laughs> to who, like Will Hankey? As if we were like on stage doing a song. That's great. This one goes out to. This one's shout out to Will Hankey, Warren Brown. This one's for Warren Brown. Woohoo, my sister Barb. This one goes out to my cat, Julie. <laughs>